This is getting out of hand. Now there are two of them. Where's your innovation, huh? Sequels suck. Do the same thing. Everyone's happy. It's all about the money, boys! Here we go again. I suspect foul play. I have eliminated no suspects. Hey guys, and welcome to this episode of Franchise Detours, where we take a quick break from the uh, from covering the franchise films to talk about just any old movie we please. This movie is very pleasing. It is, start to finish. I'm your host, James Hamrick, and I am joined with my co-host, Gabe Green. What's going on, man? Hello, I'm doing pretty well. Very, very happy to be talking about this movie. Um, so we've... So <laughs> We should just go down, keep going down my favorites list of all the of a 2019 films. So we did my favorite. This is my second favorite. Next up, 1917. There you go. Hey, I could talk about that one too. These are all so good. Oh yeah. So as, yes, he said we're talking about uh, Knives Out. Uh, before we get into that, I want to ask you guys uh, if you enjoy the show, to please take a moment to go over to iTunes and uh, leave us a glowing five star review. It would be very much appreciative, and uh, it would help uh, people find us on iTunes and all of that. So like we did with the Jojo Rabbit, we're, we're going to be doing something a little bit different. We're not going to do the, the whole uh, behind the scenes feature for the film. Uh, instead, we're going to go back to the uh, the old underrated feature of just kind of ch- chatting for a little bit about the films we watched in the last week. Uh, so James. What are some of the films you've seen recently? Uh, so I'm I'm back on my Bondathon uh, after a long break. Uh, so I'm I just finished the first Roger Moore film, Live and Let Die. That's the voodoo one, right? Yeah. Weirdly enough, it's about crazy voodoo and so, like it was just really boring to me. I like that one a bit more than a lot of other ones. Like the whole Moore series, this is probably blasphemy. It's just defined by absolute boredom, but that was one of the ones I liked. Oh no! Well, if if it defines, <laughs> if it's just boredom to you, and this is the one you liked, I have no idea what I'm in for. Just because I don't know. I felt like this was it was just constantly like we'd be at a new place and we're just gonna kind of walk around here, and he's just gonna walk around and talk to people like. And any scene, I, I, there's I, like I really like the black exploitation just style and vibe that the whole thing had. I yeah, so I like I like that. It's just, he. I think he was just such a. I don't know. Maybe I've I've heard that this first one he's kind of doing a, he's trying to step into the shoes of Connery and he kind of takes on more of his own character going forward. I don't know if there's any truth to that. I just know I found him super boring. Like he'd show up and be like, "Hello, I'm I'm Bonding, blah blah blah." And like you're not. I don't know. There's something like. I mean, Connery obviously has that incredible kind of macho, super cool, suave, super spy kind of vibe. And I really, really love, like, there's something kind of just boyish and jubilant about uh, George Lazenby. He just seemed to be having so much fun with it all. Roger Moore is just very British. And, like, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Like, there's one good film of his era, which is, like, really good film of his era, which is The Spy Who Loved Me. And all the rest are, there's some that are kind of fun. There's one with uh, Christopher Lee and his third nipple, which is a, <laughs> a weirdly large feature in the film. Uh, that one's just okay. Like, just a lot of them are just not great at all. Yeah, but we uh, I'm watching it with a couple friends, and, and we've affectionately titled our get-togethers Booze and Bond. So we'll have some beer and watch some Bond movies, and it's been a lot of fun that way. Even, like, even just the awful garbage that is things like diamonds are forever is tolerable when you've got some friends and beer so oh, I, I i've been watching them all by myself so it, it would probably help a lot if i had if i had friends hmm. they make some of these these boring movies a little bit more tolerable uh and then i watched uh 
Grave of the Fireflies. And, uh, man, that one really did me in. Have you, have you seen this one? Yeah, I, I recently watched that uh, like two or three months ago, slowly making my way through the non-Miyazaki Ghibli films. It's, it's a fun one. It's really fun. Oh, man. I just I bought his collection, and although this was a friend who, or my, my brother had this one, and so me and uh, me and a couple of friends are planning on going through the whole Ghibli collection. Um, but this this was just me watching with my brother and his wife. But yeah, I we were watching the. Uh, I usually go for sub, but we were watching the dub, and there was just. I thought that like. The the voice acting might create like a, a disconnect like I wouldn't be able to be as emotionally invested I mean because it's very clearly just an, an adult doing a kid's voice and that's probably also easier to pick up on whenever they're speaking your language and so I was like I'm gonna like this but I can already tell and then like by the end I'm just wiping tears from my face and, you know walking away in silence angry at my brother yeah. for inviting me over <laughs> but it is really good it's I really liked it a lot I watched a my very first David Cronenberg film uh, with Cosmopolis, uh, and I wasn't a fan. I, I don't think it's going to be indicative of of my thoughts on him because he's he's really going for it here, like he's going for something interesting, and I appreciate that. And he's got a cool style, but I don't know. There's he, the way I, I forget the term for it, but the way the cast is acting it's like in a very intentionally like monotone almost like devoid of of real emotion and like the the world he creates is i don't know like i know it's most of my issues or at least plenty of my issues are just my my own subjective response to it like i get what you're going for it's just it's not working for me um but i also like i don't know i i think some of his ideas are more interesting as a conversation than as the a way he like than in how he presented them is I don't know hard for me to to really get into I don't see one of his films Existence which is like his take on Inception it's really weird it sounds like most of his films are going to be really weird uh I'm going to I think we're planning a uh The Thing and The Fly double feature and just go full body horror for a day uh, I'm looking forward to that, and I think I'm gonna like, and I, I may even enjoy this more. I'm planning on rewatching it, um, but but yeah, so I I wanted to like it more, but it it doesn't deter me at all from from uh, Cronenberg. And then lastly, uh, I watched uh, Andrei Tarkovsky's first film, Ivan's Childhood, which is actually a really cool, like you know, give it like I've seen a lot of. World War II movies told from the perspective of the Americans, obviously, um, but to see to see the a perspective on the war from the Russian side and from a, a child kind of being used from the Russian side is a really it was a an interesting perspective. What's what's the what's the uh, time period this was made in? This would have been uh, this is 1962, I think. It was really cool. Like it's definitely like super artsy, but I don't think like inaccessible or anything or well then i'm out <laughs> it's, it's not like the <laughs> even though i would like his other well i say his other the only other film i've seen from him is solaris which is it's a three hour like sci-fi long it's just this 
existential collapse on a space station. And it's way more artsy. I also really, really love Solaris. But uh, but this was a really cool watch. I liked it a lot. Um, it, it was cool to see... Because I've also seen, like... I, see, I feel like I've seen plenty from, like, the 50s and 60s. And you get used to to the the style of that era and what they typically do with cameras. But And he did... He did different things. I'm like, that's. I don't feel like you're. You really see a lot of that. So, so I enjoyed it a lot. Definitely excited to continue watching through his stuff. All right, so I am uh, c- continuing to watch through uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel. Uh, I'm currently on the f- uh, sixth, no, the seventh, and final season of Buffy, and the fourth season of Angel. I'm really enjoying um, season seven of Buffy. Uh, kind of went through a, a kind of a slump in season six, and Angel, eh, it, it, the season started pretty bad, and now we're kind of in a semi, semi good arc. So, uh, but I, you know, I'm in it for the long haul. I'm going to watch the whole thing, but it's it's not entirely you know, thrilling me at the moment. Mm. Um, you, and then completely separate from from us doing Knives Out on the podcast, I went and rented a Brick and the Brothers Blue. I, I've been wanting to watch through Ryan Johnson's earlier films. It's just kind of awesome coincidence that happened the same week that we're doing on the podcast um but so yeah we watched brick it's just a really fun have you seen this one i the only johnson films is, i've seen looper knives out and the last jedi okay it's this one it's his first film it's very like absolutely no budget and it's a high school noir which is <laughs> such a crazy idea but he really makes it work and he just leans so hard into it like it, it's like the entire time is like dangling on the edge of parody, but it's able to be just self-serious enough and interesting enough and like, and just intricate, intricately plotted enough to work. And it's just this really wild little movie. That's a lot of fun. The brothers bloom. Um, this was, you know, his first big uh, studio feature. I, it's fun. It's about these two, these two magician brothers who are pulling out this enormous con. So the whole movie is, is this, homage to like heist films and con men movies and that that whole thing so the whole movie itself is is shaped is, is like is like a con is constantly you know constant twists and turns and double crosses and this person isn't that you thought they were and are they faking is this a trick like it, it's constantly like that and i think it really loses itself in that there are there's like a half dozen points in this film where like i have absolutely no idea what's going on and i've seen it twice and like even after you have all the answers you're like yeah that doesn't really make sense uh, but it's still quite fun. I think this, this you know, jo- Johnson's films are very tonally distinct. You know, he, 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 the line between you know, like incredible heartbreaking drama and outright parody is like he he kind of veers all throughout his films. And I think this is probably the least tonally successful of his. You know, it, it has the great drama. It has the it, it, it's almost like a Wes Anderson level style of just kind of go- you know, kind of very goofy. Yeah, it is, it's a lot like that, but also, you know, it has serious drama, and I don't think he completely navigates that. It's still a really fun time, you know, great cast, uh, Adrian Brody, uh, Mark Ruffalo, and what's uh, Rachel Weisz. Also, Rinko Kikuchi is hilarious, like a completely silent, almost entirely mimed role as an explosives expert, and it's awesome. Uh, yeah, so it doesn't entirely work, but it's still a really good time. Then I watched uh, One Cut of the Dead, which is this no-budget Japanese film uh it's like a zombie comedy and i don't want to i don't want to say too much about it because i didn't i didn't know what i was getting into when i first watched it it starts as one thing and then it morphs into something entirely different and for like the first 15 minutes it, just, it doesn't start very well because like the first 15 minutes i almost turned it off because but then 
something changes and then it just becomes absolutely brilliant and this really <laughs> wonderful like celebration of filmmaking particularly, particularly like indie filmmaking and just the, the crazy stuff that goes on it just in trying in trying to make a movie and all the work and all the passion and love that has to go into it it's just kind of a celebration of that it just gets really crazy and wild towards the end so I'll give you a watch it and it doesn't start well. Just stick with it. You'll you'll enjoy it. Um, then the final final one I saw was uh, Bong Joon Ho's uh, directorial feature, uh, "Barking Dogs Never Bite." Eh, it was okay. Um, I just there are moments where he just goes crazy, and you you see like just the kind of virtuoso filmmaker that he would become. Uh, but just the script, which he also wrote, is isn't great. The characters aren't that interesting. It's very plottingly paced and there's a lot of subplots that don't that really aren't that interesting to watch um so yeah like it, it was fine for me um i i enjoyed i enjoyed you know several aspects of it there are and whenever and there are times when it got really wild and crazy where he just went all out and but it just it didn't do a lot for me overall yeah i'll probably be watching this one Fairly soon, because I think I'm going to try to go through his filmography. I'm I'm most excited to just hurry up and get to a um, memories of murder. Yes, memories of murder. Uh, that's the one that I always, even before Parasite, that was the one that I always he- heard about. So, but yeah. I, I definitely I'm a completionist, so I want to I want to see all of this stuff. Yeah, right now I'm working through his filmography, uh, Brian De Palma's and uh west cravens nice <laughs> right now i'm in west cravens uh tv movie face which is really <laughs> rough <laughs> they aren't good um all right so that was all the movies i've seen uh so moving into the main the main uh main review so as i said we're not going to do the the uh, whole uh behind the scenes thing on the film but i do want to run through a couple stats because i just like it and i can't help myself um so knives out was written and directed by ryan johnson and produced by his longtime partner rom bergman it stars a whole bunch of people, namely Ana de Armas. Do you know how to pronounce her name? Is it Ana de Armas? That's what what I've said, and that's the only way I've heard okay. it pronounced. So. Uh, Daniel Craig, Chris Evans, Christopher Plummer, Jamie Lee Curtis, Michael Shannon, Don Johnson, Tony Collette, Catherine Langford, Jada Martell, Lakeith Stanfield, and Noah Segan, who's a, a regular for Johnson. And also has some notable cameos like E. Emmett Walsh, uh, Frank Oz, and <laughs> Joseph Gordon-Levitt making his obligatory uh, vocal cameo for a Ryan Johnson film. It was shot by uh, Johnson's longtime director of photography, Steve Yedlin, and the musical score was provided by his cousin, composer Nathan Johnson, uh, who has done all of his films besides The Last Jedi. Uh, so it was released on November 27th of 2019, uh, it earned $309 million on its $40 million budget, and was met with universal critical acclaim. It also got an Oscar nomination for Best Original Screenplay, but lost to Parasite, which I wouldn't give it here, but that's a pretty good movie, too. All right, so James, knives out. What do you think? I really liked it. Uh, I liked it even more on the second watch. Um, the 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 first watch, you know, I, I remember whenever I saw it in the theater. The that moment happens where there's a reveal, and we're just—I we, mean—we're going full spoilers. So I guess you know, whenever uh, whenever we see the death. And I, I had to, like, resettle into the movie. I was like, because, you know, you kind of think you know what you're mm-hmm. getting into and then it happens. And, and so I'm waiting for, like, the new mystery to build. And it, it was pretty much exactly what these movies need to be, which is it keeps you on the edge of your seat. 
Um, the only thing that really didn't work for me the first time is whenever it finished, I thought that I'd caught little like discrepancies, like what people would know at what time and, and different motivate. Like I was like, these motiva- motivations don't exactly line up and, and this and that. So I, I really loved it. But I was like, I, I think that there's just a couple things and then rewatching. I'm like, Oh no, he's way smarter than me. All of this is, <laughs> all of this is covered. This is great. Yeah. Um, so, so I saw it, I saw it in theaters. Then I traveled back home. I saw it again with my sister and then I came back and saw it again. So I saw it three times in theaters. So this is my fourth viewing. Um, so I, I really quickly want to talk about that style, that, that that structure that he brought, which is, I mean, it's not entirely unheard of. Like the the whole show Columbo, we start and watch the murder happen. We know who did it. The the, the hook is just, try, you know, will Columbo find out? We kind of watch the movie from the perspective of the murderer. Like so, that it's not entirely unique to have a mystery where we know everything happened, but it's still it's still rather surprising in a modern mystery movie like this. But just the way he paces this out was really fascinating. I didn't notice. I didn't notice this until my most recent viewing for the podcast. Was essentially, you know, we start fairly quickly with the interrogations, which raise all these different mysteries. Um, like each character, you know, they have the little discrepancies. We see their little, you know, their lies. They'll, they'll give. They'll give an answer, and then we have the flashback that shows the actual truth. So all these little mysteries and things are coming up you know that that we the audience know but then the detectives don't and then the next seed which is you know um marta and the detectives and blanc on the porch she then resolves all those mysteries for them by up and telling you know up and telling the detectives you know all the answers that we just saw so so again you're like wait so what is like what's the mystery like he's 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 introducing things but also solving them all in the beginning and then after the porch scene where all the mysteries for the um for the family are solved, we get Marta's interrogation, which then, you know, quote unquote, solves the whole mystery of the movie. And that's, that's what, 30, 30, 40 minutes, probably like 30 minutes in. Yeah. And we know, we know exactly how it happened, you know, and who's responsible and why. And it's just, as you said, there's, there's several, there's a while where you're just like, so what is this movie about? I thought we were watching a mystery movie and I know everything. Uh, but then it, obviously it, it takes the turn into Marta, you know, now having to, you know, hide from Blanc and, and cover up her, you know, her involvement in the, in the death. And then obviously, you know, where, where it goes with Ransom in the end, but it was just so crazy how right from the outset, Johnson, you know, in the first 30 minutes of the film lays everything just meticulously bare, not just for, not just for the audience, but also for a lot of the characters. And it's, <laughs> That just takes so much. That takes so much confidence, just in your story, to know that you can just lay it all out there, right, right at the start, and yet still have a completely enrapturing mystery. Yeah, and and it you know it changes your, like I said, it kind of changes your mindset watching it, and and yet you have things like Columbo, which which do reveal. And I think I'm going blank, but I know there are some other things that I thought of, of, of instances of where we, it's, it's ho- like rooting for him to find out what we know. But I, one of the interesting things here is that in, in you know, the case of Columbo, there's still like the actual villain. Uh, and here we we end up finding a villain, although the villain in this case actually didn't do anything or wasn't the wasn't the cause of death, um, which is already super interesting. But here, you know, we spend most of the movie doing what we almost never do in this, which is rooting against the detective, you know, like hoping that he doesn't stumble upon the clues, hoping 
that the mystery is wiped clean. And it just like, it almost resets how you're engaging with it. Um, yeah, I just, it was really cool to watch a movie like this in that kind of way. Yeah. So now I kind of want to circle back to just the style that Ryan Johnson brought to film, And all his films are super distinctive visually. And this one is no exception. Um, the thing that, that that really stuck out to me just when watching the trailers, you know, you have the uh, this, the, you have the uh, the full screen uh, one point eight five by one ratio, um, which which, what I I love the way he uses it here because it's it's like super tall, so we always get to see like up in up in the ceiling, and, and he really uses it with these wide angle lenses to give us a just a great view of the house around him. Like even even in close ups, we can always just see these weird unique props and just the, the the really incredibly unique setting and, and the house like the house becomes a character by the end of this film because of the way he shoots it with these wide angle lenses allowing us to just see everything while also maintaining focus on the character so that was just really cool like he's always using these like very low angle shots um and one of the very interesting things uh, more on, on the technical side was when i first watched the trailer i was like oh yeah that was definitely shot on film and it turns out it's actually a di- shot on digital which is the first time uh, Johnson Johnson has done this um, and going into some of the technical stuff. It was interesting. There was an article that came out um, about how Steve Yedlin essentially d- dove really deep into just the science of like when people say, you know, that film look, you know, they're talking about the graininess, some of the, you know, the, the way colors interact and the way lights interact. So he essentially went in and just identified all of the little things that, you know, when we, when we see actual film, that register in our brain, oh, that's film versus, you know, the super crisp di- digital image. He was able to recreate that, you know, in the color grading, like in these, uh, essentially they're called LUTs, which is just, you know, the um, the color and, and visual effects that are kind of laid over an image uh, to make it, you know, to give you, to give the film its look. He essentially was able to rec- recreate all of that and, and, and put it over this film. And to the point where he was, he, he showed it to like a lot of people who were like really, really vocal about, you know, film, you know, pro film. And he said that a lot of them couldn't even distinguish between, you know, his digital images and actual film. And I think, you know, that's really on display here because like, I think anyone who saw this movie who, who knew the difference between digital and film would have said that this was shot on film. It really has that look like the graininess, just the, just the, 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 the richness of the colors and, and the, the lighting. It's just, it's very technical, but it fascinates me, um, that, that aspect. Yeah, it definitely looks like it has that vintage feel about it, you know? Like, because it's very much a play on a lot of the old classic murder mysteries, and it kind of, it visually, I feel like it really stands with those as well. Uh, and I noticed the thing you were saying with, with, kind of what that this aspect ratio accomplishes it feels like in almost any sequence you're always getting like the everything in frame is like fully from the floor to the ceiling like there's rarely ever either of those that are are cut out and then whenever we go into close-ups like they are from like this the camera feels like it's you know below the waist just this weird up front up close kind of kind of angle and there's something about like this full screen ratio that just makes that look, it almost makes it look interrogative. Like you're really in somebody's face. The, the entirety of them is exposed. And uh, it was, it was cool to notice. Cause I'm, I'm not always a fan of whenever movies use this, but, but here it, it felt right. And it also just made like the, the external shots look, re- the, 
like the aerial shots of the mansion look really cool. Yeah. Um, and like, it, it's a very, his, his, his style is always just very intense and, and he uses, he really knows how to use editing. Like you don't get the feeling that, that Johnson is a filmmaker who just shoots a lot of coverage, multi cameras and then, and then figures out in the edit. You can tell, you know, watching his film, like probably just from the script level, he knows that, you know, this, this shot is going to be this angle. And then we're going to cut for dramatic effect to this angle. Like, it, it feels like it's shot for the edit. I mean, a lot of his jokes are the edit themselves. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 I just adore be, you know, being in the hands of a filmmaker who is who just knows exactly how he wants to tell his story, um, and so just the editing is so sharp, and just every shot feels like it, it's framed for maximum uh, impact, and also the interrogation scenes, uh, like where they're in front of the, the Game of Thrones chairs, um, where everyone's in front of the you know, the, the collage of knives, um. I noticed that when he shoots a lot of dialogue scenes, he doesn't use over-the-shoulder shots. Instead, he just sticks the camera right in front of the person. Or not, or in this case, it's a little off to the side. But he cuts to where it's, you know, one person in shot that cuts to the other person. So it, it just it it's like increasing the disconnect and the fact that no one is on the same page in this movie. You know, everyone's lying to each other, everyone's completely, you know, isolated. So they're all alone in their shots. And also, like those with those initial scenes, it also felt very like documentarian. And that, you know, like you'll have the one, the chair there and the camera just offset. Like those moments are just us sitting back, like entirely taking in information at this point and thinking about like, there's not, there's nothing else really going on. It's just, here's this person telling a story. I I really love the way he uses perspective to where, and, and more than that, the way he's able to let us know what is real and what is just a character's perception because I feel like that could get really confusing because because uh, because the narrative is so crazy. We're, you know, we're constantly flashing back and the flashbacks themselves aren't always linear. <laughs> and the story is pretty linear, but you know, it's so intercut with flashbacks and there's not all and, and he doesn't shoot them like flashbacks you know, with a different color grade. But I, ne- I never found myself lost or or even even wondering whether I was in, you know, a character's perception of the flashback or actual reality of the flashback, which that, that's a fun, tricky place where he'll play the character's perception and then show what actually happened. Yeah, I really, you know, like whenever they're recounting the events of the party and whoever's telling the story is the person giving the cake. And another great one is when, um, uh, where where I think who I think we're t- uh, interviewing Don Johnson, where he's like, oh, he's welcoming Marta into the party, and everyone's smiling after he's beckoning her over, and then we see the actual reality. He's just waving for her to come over as a prop for his uh, political, you know, for uh, for his political debate. And and just even if with the idea of of perception, we're gonna bring up the idea of, of subversion a lot, and I know people who dislike Ryan are just gonna be like, ah, subversive for subversiveness sake that i butchered a lot of them only learned what that word meant after the last jedi whatever yeah but yeah like his there this movie is very subversive in its nature even with perception because you know like i said it it brings you to a place early on where you think you are given like the kind of omniscient view uh we know what's going on and then you know, we're pretty deep in before the letter saying, you know, I know what you did comes in. And so now as we've relaxed into what this movie is now and thinking like this may be 
more of a kind of a quirky drama trying to cover up the facts it's back a mystery like i don't it's mm-hmm. you know he's he's you're never really able to sit still and settle into some kind of perspective yeah. because something is something is being changed and the really hard thing about these films when you have you when you have constant twists and reversals and a final big mystery reveal is number one making it something that we couldn't guess beforehand which i think this does pretty well some people might have guessed it but i don't think most people knew what the answer was going to the end and two <laughs> letting it make sense yeah which is a lot harder than it sounds because i would say the vast majority of films that try to be super twisty when they have the final reveal when it comes it doesn't quite make sense right and i've seen this four times and i'm I, I, i'm pretty perceptive as far as you know plot holes and whatnot and i i can't think of any um like i nothing nothing stands out to me as something that doesn't hold up yeah like i like i said early on i I thought something that didn't work was was uh, motivations with the the maid and like what she had seen and why uh, like with the report. But then the whole point of her character, or not the whole point of her character, but the, but whenever we're we're told about you know what she was using uh, to blackmail, we're explicitly told you know, like the numbers didn't mean anything to her, like. It's not only it not only makes sense that she got the 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 toxicology report and you know read it and read it wrong, but like there's there's irony in that you know like she she was blackmailing him with with something that would have ended up doing nothing, and and at first I without thinking you know, or I was trying to think Just about a it a few I, amateur theatrics exactly and so in my mind I'm like well actually. She would have seen that. She would have known this. She would have known nothing. Blah blah blah. Because I'm thinking about you know like these are, this is what would happen if this was the actual villain. You know they would think have this plan through. But whenever we're just dealing with, you know, these people who aren't going to be picking up on things like that, uh, it ended up every everything ended up working. And I was like, okay, so no, I I I'm the one who's wrong here. <laughs> Ryan Ryan Johnson's definitely a step ahead of me. <laughs> And I, I think previously Johnson has there's occasionally been some holes in his movies. I think that Looper has a pretty gigant, ginormous hole. Brothers Bloom has some holes in it. Like, and and a brick is, I don't, a brick is so impenetrable. <laughs> I'm not even confident going staying either way. Um, but yeah, like he's like you know he's he's been working on this kind of format you know his entire filmography. Um, so like now he's finally perfected it, which is really cool. So. This movie is so freaking dead. I've I've been just thinking about how do you even want to you know approach it. Do you want to go linear through the film, character by character? What do you think? How, how do you want to go through it? I think character by character, at least for a start, would be fun. Okay, which and it's pretty easy. It kind of match this this area at least matches up with structure because we're introduced to all of them through the interrogations, uh, which are kind of brilliant. Um, it's just you see you you have all these interrogations. I love the way they're framed. You have your blog out of focus in the background, occasionally just dinging the piano whenever he's bored to rattle the witness. Something I love about that scene is that, you know, we we hear the piano ding several times, and it's Jamie Lee Curtis who first asks, you know, who the F is that? No, it's uh, uh, Don Johnson. Oh, it's... Oh, I thought it right, was... So, uh, who the F is that? 
Okay. Okay. Well, so he does it's that one of, first... my, one of my favorite F-bombs <laughs> in a PG-13 film. It's good. And they got two here. I So I guess it... What's the later, you know, F my family? Yeah. But what I love about this scene is that, you know, like, we see him first called out on it. And then... The, and then we cut to the next person talking about him. And then the next person. And so presumably, like, this has happened... It, it's It feels as if we finally have the first person who's able to who's who's actually asked who it is you know like we just see him dinging it and people kind of confused and then we get don johnson asking you know who is this <laughs> and then we cut to the next person like tony collette talking about the tweet You're and so famous. then you realize i want to let this truck pass then you realize like this exact scenario has happened like this explanation everything has happened <laughs> several times at this point he's just gonna sit there Tilly's board. I, I, I you kind know. of wonder how he wrote that. Like, did he did he write this like the way it's edited together? Because if so, man, he's a genius. So I wonder if he 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 left himself some freedom and wrote each interrogation separately and uh, then edited it together later. Either way, it's incredible. <laughs> yeah, and like they feel like they're written together because, like I said, like the jokes are often in the edit. You know, like uh, who is it? Somebody said. Is is in, with regard to Michael Shannon's character about him not earning something? It was like what he said that, and then uh, <laughs> or you know like if you are trying to bait me into bad mouthing my family and then cutting to John Don Johnson just like going off on everybody, it's so good, and yeah, like it it does it feels like it's it's written, it, it feels as if each each interview was something that fully happened, but just like trying to picture it on the page it just feels like it's a singular scene that's just running down the page like i don't know it it, if not then he found really cool ways to piece it together yeah so we have a cast of characters and a family that is almost universally loathsome obviously the first one uh, we'll probably get to like marta and christopher Plummer last um so the first one we're introduced to is uh jamie lee curtis's linda um who i guess it varies like Marg, uh, Matt, uh, what's her name? Meg, I think Meg's the Catherine Langford one. Mm-hmm. Um, she's like, she's the most sympathetic, but uh, she has her own issues. But I think of the like truly nasty ones, I think uh, Linda is probably the least hateful. I, I, I don't know. I, I, like, who, who is your favorite out of these characters? Um, oh, favorite? That's harder. Uh, or yeah, okay. Like, who do you, who do you think is the least worst? Uh, that's also hard because. Another thing that I, I really like about it is that I, w- I was interpreting um, I was interpreting Jamie Lee Curtis's character as like I mean from the trailers I thought she was going to be the lead. Um, mm-hmm. that, that that okay that was really interesting how they didn't they didn't even reveal in the trailers that Marta on the Armas's character is the like, yeah. the unequivocal lead of the film. And so I was when I was re- reading reviews, I was like, "Oh my gosh, Honor the Army, she's the standout. She's so good." I was like, really? Like she has like two shots in the trailers. I know. And then, like whenever she was so involved initially, that was another moment of me being like, "Wait, what is? I I have this is not at all what I was expecting, uh, but in a good way." And speaking of the trailers, uh, the one with uh, Frank Sinatra's "I'm Gonna Live Until oh, I Die." That's one of my new favorite trailers. Perfection. But with her, you know, like she's presented as if. Like, even with that line, you know, like, I'm not going to be baited into bad-mouthing my family. She seems the one 
is most put together and this is you know it's like it's a a trope she's definitely she's definitely the most the most intelligent right uh, of, of the bunch but you know the, we see this kind of trope a lot in in these you know like whether arrest development i'm sure there's several others of like you know a dysfunctional family with like here's our lead who's like got their own issues but they're they're the most relatable there are you know point of view into all this craziness that's why i thought she's going to be you know she's she definitely has her issues but she's by far the most likable so far she seems to have her head on her shoulders more than anybody else and then it that really shifts unless money is involved exactly once the will is read and it's just turned like you and you know just immediately just throwing were you boinking my father (laughs) she just turns into this horrible human being and you realize this is just an awful family across the board uh it's like the she at least has moments you know of like whenever she's you know she's crying as michael shannon comes in you know talking about waiting for the big reveal from their father um which brings us to michael shannon and i'm not I'm not sure if he's like any better or worse than her. He kind of, it's almost like his demeanor is so much more like pleasant, I guess, than other people's. But that's also just to like hide the fact that he's got his own very specific intentions and motivations. And he's really probably just as bad as everybody else. Like the the hallway scene where, where he's got his, his cane and he's pressing her. And you're like, well, we could take care of you with the right lawyers and this and that. So... Yeah, everybody, there, there's really nobody, aside from Langford's character, to me, who can really, I'm like, okay, you you seem okay. And the thing I love about that scene you mentioned between Walt and Linda is that it is played completely straight. This is a genuinely sad, emotional scene between two kids who lost their father, and they're grieving and comforting each other. And I love that Johnson is confident enough that you know he can let them be a holes everywhere else, but they're also people, and they also they also have pain, and they also love each other in their own weird warped way. Um, so like he doesn't have like I feel like another film would have have to undercut that by a joke, or then at the end have one of them say something horrible about someone else, but he doesn't have to like he he can let them be human and horrible yeah. at the same time. Yeah. I, I feel like the film never really stops humanizing the bulk of the family. Like, even going into the end, you know, just seeing the hurt on her face as she reads the letter and finds out about his unfaithfulness. You know, like, these are these are still people. They're not, you know, like, they fall into certain archetypes, but I don't think any of them are written, you know, shallow. And she wins points by being absolutely just incredulous at her husband's stupidity all throughout. Um, I love the scene where uh, when he calls her over, you know, you know, Marta's family came from Uruguay, <laughs> and but they did it right. And she's just sitting there with her mouth agape, like, you are the stupidest person in the world. What are you doing to you know, leave the poor girl alone? Also, the joke of the way the family treats her, it's like, it's so sad, but it's so funny with like the different... Her family's from Ecuador. Exactly. The, or And there, there's so many of them. Like there's the, the family from Ecuador or the, you know, like I wanted you to be at the funeral, but I was outvoted. Like everybody yeah. was outvoted and... And like, yeah, like, uh, like uh, Todd Johnson says, Uruguay once and Paraguay the other time. Exactly. Grant's uh, 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 like, your Brazilian nurse. <laughs> and then even with that scene, though, this is a recurring joke, but it's like it's a, it's a little detail that I didn't notice the first time that just speaks a lot about Don Johnson's character. But like, 
you know, he he's essentially just using her as a way to make a point, you know, like, come in here, her family did it right, blah, blah, blah. And he's, like, he's trying to present himself as somebody who respects her and her position and that. But, like... The plate? Yeah, exactly. He hands her the plate, <laughs> and it's not trying to attach it to him. She just politely takes it, like, oh, you scumbag. Oh, the, the look on Jimmy Lee Curtis' face when she sees that is just is so priceless. I need to go back and look for that because I didn't catch the plate the first time, and so I caught it this time, but uh, I, I didn't notice her reaction to it. Yeah, it's like uh, she she's the the the, the businesswoman, the, the self made woman with a lot of million dollars from her father, of course. But <laughs> even I love how how kind of indignant she gets at the thought of that either her husband or her brother are anywhere near as successful as her. Walt's done well with what he's been given. <laughs> and, and I like that she she is smart enough. Like, she's smart enough to know when she's being played, but even then, she's still letting on so much about her, about her real feelings about her family. So I say, especially with that status. first scene, you're like, I'm not going to be baited into bad-mouthing it, but, like, you know, like, y'all are all so self Like, her first response is, well... You know, it's... Yeah. <laughs> I read your profile. It was delightful. <laughs> She needs to be in a lot more movies now. I didn't realize how much I wanted more of Jamie Lee Curtis. Even in Halloween, which I didn't like, I really liked her in it. Yeah. The new one, by the way, just in case there's... Say what? I said the, the new Halloween. It's still called Halloween, but not not bad-mouthing the original. I mean, I love her, but she wasn't great in the original. <laughs> sure. The, the original is a better movie with a lesser performance. The newer one was a worse movie with a better performance. Yeah. Uh, then there is Richard, Linda's husband, played by Don Johnson, an actor who I wasn't like at all familiar with before this, but I do. I really loved his performance here. I don't know what what is it about his face that is so deeply sleazy and untrustworthy. Is it the facial hair? I don't like. It's just his eyes. I think his his hair just comes down a little bit too far on the sides of his head. I think. Uh, I love how bad of a liar he is. Like just the cameras in his face. Like, oh, that was yeah, that was nothing. It wasn't anything. I, 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 I like, and then like he he can never let it rest either. You know, like as as he says the explanation, like that was it. I'd forgotten it. Constantly doubling down. Yeah, and <laughs> he's uh, he's the one who just you know he's married into the family he doesn't have a lot of investment in it aside from the money so he's totally he's one of the you know, the drama mongers completely you're completely ready to throw anyone and everyone equally under the bus uh, and his delivery is all it's man there's something about just his voice and like the confidence he says all of his ridiculous lines with it's it's so perfect uh and the, 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 there's a really funny like just kind of thread running along entirely the entire film in the background is you know you know, when uh, uh, Harlan initially you know threatens to um, reveal his affair, and you know, and then he goes and sneaks in to try and to break out the letter, and he finds out it's blank. Like in, in order to show his disdain for Harlan, he takes his baseball and throws it out the window, and so that that baseball kind of goes an entire journey through the film where the do- uh, Blanc picks it up, then he throws it f- for the for the dog, so the dog will let go of the piece of the trestle, and then the dog goes and brings it to Jamie Lee Curtis at the final scene, you know, uh, where, you know, the final scene where they're all in the room together. And then she brings it back and puts it, you know, back where it was on her father's um, desk. And she, there she finds the letter. So it's like <laughs> by throwing the ball out the window, he, you know, inadvertently reveal his own, you know, his own misdeeds. And another thing is like, if he hadn't broken, you know, broken open 
into the desk and brought the letter I left on the desk. She would have never found it. Like it's, you know, he, he brought it all upon himself. And I love that outside of, uh, of the initial, like the porch scene where we're talking about the affair, that's never brought up again. It's all just, you know, like we know why he's there to get the letter. We know what she's reading. We know all of this stuff, but. Oh yeah. Cool visual storytelling. So good. Um, then we have Walt played by the always <laughs> wonderful, um, Michael Shannon. And I don't know, like, I, I was listening to an interview with Ryan Johnson and he said that there, there was, there was a, a deleted scene that explained why he had a cane and why he was limping. Like he broke, like he broke his leg doing something. Is he supposed to be like hopped up on pain meds <laughs> throughout this entire film? Uh, or is that just I Michael mean, Shannon? <laughs> that may just be Michael Shannon. Uh, because he's a little loopy. Yeah, I I like to think that he's a uh, he's trying to present himself as as more reserved and 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 calm. Uh huh. But who knows? But he's also just super pathetic. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's, very, he's just you know, very proud of his you know, his place and his father's legacy and like I have a, I have mixed feelings on what Harlan did to the family. That scene is what this kind of comes from one scene in particular, you know, at the party where he's kind of railing on his father to you know, give him the Netflix rights, and you know, his, his voice gets like super high when he's drunk. Um, and I just I felt really bad for him when Harlan fires him. It's like he's he's faithfully served you all these years. You know, he might not be a great the best person, but like at least the others like. Um, uh, what's uh, what's Tony Collette's character? Um, there's so many characters. I was gonna say I'm going blank now. Uh, Tony Collette is uh, John Joni. Um, like she's actively stealing. Don Johnson is is a uh, is a uh, cheating on his wife. Uh, you know what's her name? Uh, uh, Linda's gonna be fine. You know, she's rich. Uh, but like Walt, like he did, like he didn't do anything as far as we know, do anything particularly evil to you know, to get this from his father and his father is just kind of firing him he's like oh my gosh you're a terrible person but i still feel kind of bad for you like you now you're like 50 plus years old you don't want to have to start an entirely new career yeah. he was the <laughs> only person who i really felt for and it does sound incredibly smug from his father yeah yeah you you you're you're past your prime you're 50 years old but now i'm gonna let you, i'm so benevolent for letting you go find your own way in life whatever <laughs> yeah i mean if anybody has any ground to be upset but uh, I, I, I really love, I think the character's really fun. I'm also just a massive fan of Michael Shannon. Uh, so he could already do no wrong going into this. He could do this character, then he can play Zod. He's amazing. Yeah. Like, I, I just, I binged through all of uh, all of Jeff Nichols' filmography, and he's he's in every, all of his movies. It's just, it's crazy the range he has of just, like, playing benevolent, but kind of, like dumb uncle and you know just like perfectly mild-mannered father to crazed lunatic zod and and now like this kind of reserved business like it's, it's there's a he's doing a lot and he's not in loving a lot but he plays like this much more enthusiastic personable kind of uh, a photographer is is different for him uh, uh-huh. but anyways yeah i i really like him and i he i didn't realize how funny he could be because most of his roles, like really none of his roles prior to this that I'd seen, have a lot of humor to them. But mm-hmm. 
we've discovered he, he can like deliver funny lines really well. Yeah. <laughs> the way he like throws his arms up in the air. Uh when, uh, uh, J- uh, what uh Jade Martell's character reveals uh, about Bransom. Uh, just like <laughs> so many little things. And what's so funny is like like so many of his lines are just like background bits, but they're they're just hilarious. You know, like maybe Harlan left you some milk in his will, a hole. You think like Dad said, you're getting one red dime? <laughs> you're nuts. Or maybe my favorite after, uh, uh, after uh, Ransom has just gone off with them. You hear in the background as I think it's either as Marta. No, it'd be after Blanc is leaving the room. Uh, and you're still hearing everybody yell. You just turn the back and like, I will not eat one iota. Of it's, it's so, so good. <laughs> after after uh, uh, Ransom pulls off with Marty, he's like, maybe this is the best thing that will happen to all of you. <laughs> well, what do you mean by that? <laughs> but I love his, his, just a little moment, but his, his delivery of when uh, him and Meg are going to kind of com- comfort Marta. He's, and he's like talking to Marta. He's like, have you been smoking grass? <laughs> <laughs> He's got so many, or man, so much of me talking about his character, just talking about lines that I love. But like, whenever she she calls, he's like, "Hello, Walt. This is Walt. Hello." <laughs> like just that little, the way he answers cracked me up. I got a, a little thing just showing how disconnected. Like he's not even listening to her reply. Yeah, and then the last bit that I can think of that I just really got me was him trying to to fix the plate for Nana. He's like, <laughs> "You want food to eat?" Eat, Nana! Foods! Man, he's, he's really funny. She ate the whole fish plate. <laughs> and that, that last little silent look he gives. Great. Uh, so next big character would be T- Tony Collette's uh, Joni, uh, who is, I guess, just a crazy hippie lady. Um, just, I love how much Linda loathes her. Just everything about her. Like She's, you know, she's a professional, so she doesn't show it. She really hates her. They are like just as people. They are on the like if there is a spectrum, they are just standing polar opposites, and I, like nothing, nothing uh, illustrates the relationship or just like where they stand with relation to each other than her. And I love the shot too. Whenever we get Joni's perspective of her dancing through the party and taking Linda's hand, and like <laughs> Linda, well, not even like moving her eyes to take note of her. It's like that's that's them. Right there. Yeah. <laughs> That's the essence of flam. <laughs> like, oh, sorry. I forgive you. <laughs> uh, and like, this is the first I had seen from her. Because I, well, no. So I've seen The Sixth Sense. Um, but I also didn't realize that was her whenever I'd seen that like over a decade ago. But the last time I had seen her was Hereditary. So I just associate her with this very just horrific fear <laughs> In my like, I just see a poster for that movie and I freak out. And now to watch her like just this exuberant, weird hippie lady was such a change. But it's funny like how immediately she like just becomes that kind of character to where like now I see her I'm like, oh, you're the lady. You're like that that crazy dancing lady with flam. <laughs> She's just like so disconnected from reality and so narcissistic. This is gonna be hard. That's but nothing ever you know nothing easy is ever. <laughs> Exactly, but but nothing, think, nothing, nothing, nothing easy is ever good, or or like, but nothing ever worth doing isn't, or something like that. <laughs> Which is especially ironic coming from her character. Uh, then you have um, Meg or Megan, who's Catherine Langford. Um, 
I, I didn't see 13 Reasons Why. There's, she was actually cast as uh, Tony Stark's grown-up daughter. Like there, in, in Endgame, there was a... F- when he snapped, you know, when he snapped uh, the, the gauntlet, spoilers for Endgame, and... Yeah. You know, he he kind of had a similar vision to where Thanos had. You know, where Thanos went and saw the the you know the you know child Gamora again. He had a similar scene, and uh, Catherine Langford was actually you know, the scene was shot, and you can see it, it was made available recently, so you could probably YouTube it. A shot of her just kind of talking in this net in this uh, this you know limbo with uh, Robert Downey Jr., uh, but it was deleted from the film. So interesting tidbit about her. I think I've seen her from something else, but I I, I don't know what it is. She's been, she's probably she's done a little bit. Um, I think like thirteen reasons why is the big thing for her. Yeah, so she's kind of this the hip, self righteous liberal do gooder. Uh, it's, of course she vapes, <laughs> and like you know, she she, you know, she so she's got all her high ideals and she tries to live by them, but it she is also very disconnected and and so she she you know she spends the entire film allying herself with Marta and Fran, and you. Know, even you know, even going so far as to say that you know, Marta should be able to keep part of the inheritance because that's what Granddad wanted, right up until it threatens her. That <laughs> when it actually threatens her and her life, you know, her livelihood and her future is at stake. Well, then maybe all that, all those, you know, the high, the high morals she's been, you know, preaching the entire time, maybe they don't matter as much because it's personal now and it's about her. But I liked at least that they don't, and it's like what you said, they don't completely undermine the humanity of them where. She is given oh, she, that. Yeah, she, she's not evil. She's just re- remarkably weak as a person. Right. But when, you know, like I, I'm glad that we, that there's still kind of that moment of forgiveness and, and reunion for her and Marta, whenever Marta comes back. And that mm-hmm. scene also just, you know, speaks to Marta's inherent goodness in the movie. Oh, Marta's so sweet. Uh, then you have the Nazi child masturbating <laughs> in the bathroom. <laughs> that line. <laughs> it's incredible. Uh, Jacob. Uh, which is funny, like, because uh, Jaden Martell, he's been a, a, a kind of a high level child actor for a while, but for a long time, like even up till it won, he was known as a Jaden Lieberher. Um, I guess he, like the, the first time I heard of Jaden Martell was uh, was you know when I was researching this film. So apparently, like within the last couple of years, he changed it. Oh wow! I was going to say because I still refer to him as Lieberher. Yeah, uh, <laughs> he's very politically active. <laughs> internet kids these days. The boy is literally a Nazi. <laughs> that cut is incredible. <laughs> and uh, just the fact that even Don Johnson, like the, you know, the, for all, you know, the, the MAGA hat wearing Trump guy, who's like, oh, you know, maybe an asshole is what we need, is like, the boy is literally a Nazi. So he's, he's got to be pretty bad. Uh, yeah. Uh, I was surprised. I feel like of everybody, he's given the least to do. But that's I also... In a weird way, like it really works for the character. He's always just kind of in the background on his phone, never like <laughs> engaged for a moment outside of like being explicitly asked to. He's never mm-hmm. involved with the family, you know, like joylessly masturbating to pictures of dead deer. <laughs> it's such a weird line, but so funny. But like, yeah, until that moment where he's actually called upon to to say something, uh, and his slurs towards Marta after the the real the will reading. He's he's just he's just sitting in the background on his phone. Like this is a family disconnected from reality, and this is a kid disconnected from a disconnected. It's just like a whole other level removed. Yeah, and his dad is like completely disconnected and oblivious of anything. And then there's there's a 
a great Nana played by Kay Callen, uh, who's actually six years younger than Christopher Plummer. <laughs> but I guess once you get that, you're that age, it doesn't matter much. <laughs> How old is she? We have no idea. Uh, I love the use of her character. Just like this, this watchful eye that you really don't know how how she's gonna end up being involved. And then, but then we get like one of the loveliest moments in the film between her and Blanc. Mm. Um, and this so just some beautiful quotes. You know, this is a long walk to offer you my condolences for the loss of your son, and to ask you if it isn't too presumptuous of me to not think too hardly of your family. If I am, as I suspect, the first to console you, they're young, aren't they? where did this come from (laughs) but i love it yeah blanc is incredible Um, and i love that like he just he's he's so willing to just sit there with her for however long need be i'm in a rush in fact i find it quite pleasant sitting here with you and it's just like this this like the whole movie stops and we have this really poignant examination of aging and the disconnect between the youth and adults and the uselessness an old person can feel when the whole just the world's moved on around them and you know they might not, they're not like they're not hated but they're just they've become irrelevant and 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 she doesn't do it like it's just a close-up on her face and it's like just the slight tears at the edge of her eyes and it's so heartbreaking um and I, th- I think you're very perceptive and you're very capable of telling me what you saw and it's just this bizarre little moment, a completely random moment of like just this deep empathy. And it was nice to see, you know, after, you know, her use prior to this really has kind of been setting up jokes. And they're all funny. And, you know, they're never mean spirited or anything. But it was, yeah, the age joke and the 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 eating the whole plate already. But it was nice to just kind of like have a character give her some measure of, of, of respect at that point. It feels sweet. Yeah. And she gets the last laugh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was great. I, I I have a feeling that she's just gonna live there with Marta, just kind of like a, just a fixture in the house. And the, the, there's the two cops. I have Detective Detective Elliot, played by the wonderful Lakeith Stanfield. Um, and like I love what he does with this role. It's it's a it could have been just a nothing role, but he gives it so much personality. And he's just kind of he's very bored. And kind of just disconnected from everything. Like he he's not stupid. He's smart, but he's also just kind of like he does this, this this aura of just chill and relaxation around him. You know, I, I love how he calls out you know Benoit Blanc Benny. Yeah, <laughs> look Benny, I may be a victim of my own expectations, but I was expecting a little more. <laughs> just dumping that vat of weak sauce all over me. <laughs> that was the dumbest car chase of all time. <laughs> I love that line. Put your hands down. <laughs> I feel like of everybody here, he's like he's the guy who's not just kind of existing in a ver- like a, this movie like scenario. You know, like everybody else is falling into some some form of familiar character, and he's the guy who's gonna like step out of the car and be like, "That was the dumbest car chase ever," or who's constantly <laughs> be like, "I don't I don't see what's going on. Why are we, you know." Maybe I'm expecting more, but but I like that kind of character, and I think he plays it in a way that's like just really fun to watch. Like he's there's something so, and maybe it is just because of how relaxed he plays he plays the character. There's just something so immediately likable about him to me, which is crazy because I I didn't even realize 
because this was I saw this and Uncut Gems around the same time, and this is also like the first time that I was really hearing about Lakeith Stanfield because I had I hadn't seen Atlanta or anything or sorry to bother you, so I I hadn't I didn't know who he was. It felt like he just kind of appeared with Get Out and then just got a whole bunch of roles, which is great. Yeah, because what's crazy is like. I would describe his character here as just like, like I said, so immediately likable. And he plays such a horrible, horrible person in Uncut Gems. And like everything about the demeanor, just his, it's so different. Um, mm-hmm. that he, he really does just like become these different roles. He's, he plays a white dude in a. Yeah, <laughs> he's incredible at it. Spoilers! And <laughs> there's my, maybe my absolute favorite character with a uh, Trooper Wagner. Played by Noah Segan, who is um, who is a Ryan Johnson regular. I uh, he's you know he's like the the punk in Brick, like uh, the, the, the goth drug dealer punk guy in Brick. Uh, he's in uh, he's Kid Blue in Looper, the guy who gets his hand crushed. I was like he's he's, he's all over Ryan Johnson's films. <laughs> he's he's the fanboy essentially, the guy who you know he knows every single fact about Harlan's books. Um, big fan, big fan. <laughs> I think his best line is that towards the end, you know, uh, she was talking about that Hallmark movie with uh, Dana McKellar, Dana Mc, uh, Danica McKellar, you know, murdered by surprise. Yeah. <laughs> they could be cut to Elliot and he just does this like slight look and eye roll. It was especially funny is whenever I had seen this. So this came out Thanksgiving. So I was already full blown into, uh, into my Hallmark season. Uh, and to, to hear Danica McKellar's, like, to have that name dropped in this really got me. It's funny. Because it's, like, any any sort of joke you can make towards Hallmark, it's not even an exaggeration. It's just true. She's in, like, half of them. And, yeah, that was funny. <laughs> and then towards the end, with the big reveal is happening, and uh, Elliot goes to the and goes, shh, shh, shh. This is this is what I've been waiting for my entire life, and you are not interrupting this for me. The look of glee in his eyes, he's just totally arrested. <laughs> and just, like, the entire film, he's always just doing something goofy in the background. Uh, after the will is read, and um, and uh, Linda's like, get out, this is still our house. He goes to turn around, and, and uh, Ellie has to reach out and grab him. There are, there are, so, there are so many characters in this movie. Uh, we, we missed uh, missed uh, Chris Chris Evans Ransom, um, who according to uh, uh, Ryan Johnson is named after the character Ransom from C.S. Lewis's Space Trilogy, which I actually just reread uh, out of the Silent Planet like nice. a month ago. I saw a tweet about that where he tweeted where he got it from about a New York article about <laughs> that. Just if I, if I needed you know if I needed as a, as a huge you know C.S. Lewis fanboy if I needed a reason to like Ryan Johnson anymore, yeah, and so he's evil. <laughs> <laughs> just, okay, like this is this his character the way it's done is so fascinating and, and he, like he doesn't even appear into the in the film it's like an hour into the movie um like all the other characters are established and he's kind of like this, this mythical beast that's kind of been we've seen you know tangentially in a couple of the flashbacks and then he walks in like he owns the place the the the, the line the the line that johnson walks with the writing of his character is really interesting because you know he comes in as the world's greatest a-hole and he's really good at it and he really likes being that. He's very comfortable in that role. Uh, just the way he the way he just plays everyone and uh, uh, in that room where he comes for the will reading and everyone just hates him. <laughs> the little, wow. <laughs> he does when, um, when uh, Walt gets in his face. Uh, 
Thank you. You know, son, father, <laughs> my mother, ladies and gentlemen. And then and like he's he's like that, and he's he's like so evil, and everyone knows he's evil, and everyone like everyone, you know, everyone like everyone else like you know we're gonna protect you know we're family we're gonna you know at least guard our words. You might still hate each other, but we'll, we'll be careful around the police when talking about our family. Ransom, no, <laughs> he's just evil. Everyone is completely fine. You're ripping him to shreds. That's the thing. Like other other people will be more protective. Like. You know, Walt describing his son's actually like, oh, he's very politically active. I don't think he even knows he's literally a Nazi. Well, probably, yeah. But like, I, I still like it's telling. You know, with uh, with Don Johnson just being, he'll just immediately lay into him. You know, there's there's none of that like, you know, I'm this part of the family, and so I'm going to protect my part of this family. And it's just even his son just gets it. Uh, the hint we should have all seen is that the dogs hate him. So if the dogs hate him, then he's obviously the killer. And that great line, you know, like, I, dogs are the best judge of characters I've found. Uh-huh. Oh, no, the film is totally telling us. Like, there are so many little touches. I forgot. I, I wrote them down. There's somewhere in my map. Like, I have a whole novel's worth of notes. Um, and, but then w- when the twist comes and you know, the will is read and everyone freaks out and then he comes in as like the most unlikely ally of hers. Well, first he plays the scene where he's actually, you know, kind and considerate and empathetic. And then, but then he turns around like, Oh yeah. (laughs) The cut from, you know, where he's like, you gently prodding, you know, prodding her. And then he just clunks the bowl in front of her. And then, but the, the, the fact that he is such a selfish self, you know, self-centered jerk, it makes us trust him because at least you know, from what from our from our perspective at that point in the film, you know, helping Marta is the best way to help himself. So he appears, you know, for all for all intents and purposes, to be a trustworthy ally because you know he's going to do what's best for her because that's what's best for him. So we pretty much completely trust him from you know from that point until you know to the final reveal. And I just, it's it's such a great trick that the movie plays on us, you know, by making you know the, the most unlikable character. This ally, um, but even then, like on rewatch, you could see it. Like he's still, he is still coaching her, you know, to get what he wants. Like the moment where he's like, uh, you know, did you check your email? You know, you, you know, you check your messages, check your email. Like just kind of like having to prod her and poke her in the direction that she needs to go to find the toxicology report so that he can frame her. It's so well done. Yeah, and you know, like that's that's another great use of subversion, but he, because he steps into this kind of role where it it makes sense for us to just naturally see him as an ally as as he presents himself as that because you know the the other all of the other members of the family are so out of touch with reality and like unaware to such a large extent of their own flaws and failures and just like all of these things that make so many of them despicable you really get the the idea that he's he's very self-aware, you know. Like I I don't feel like we we're ever really meant to felt like or to feel like he's fooling himself the way the other family is is fooling themselves. Uh, yeah. And so whenever a character like that, whenever he, he's juxtaposed with all of these other oblivious characters, and he's very upfront, he's very loud, but he like we, you get the idea that he knows exactly what kind of person he is. Whenever he does offer that help, there is something that seems like okay. If anything, he at least seems genuine you know genuinely evil exactly but you don't see it coming despite the fact that it all makes sense it's it's just 
it's so well written and oh i forget the the point the key like the detail itself but i remember there was something about his part in it like the way something about the way he played uh he paid blanc to find so at some point during his plan i remember thinking no that that's not really lining up and then rewatch like okay not only does that line up that's incredible like just the way you do this so that this will happen and then you can yeah it's it's really good and like even as we're walking to the end where he comes you know like you know marta i'm sorry i told them everything and like and going through that like there's a we still, we're still, we kind of like him at this point, so we're still kind of doubtful. It's, it's that moment where it's like, you have a confession, and then she looks at him and he realizes, oh, okay, he's out to bury her. Um, I, I just like that we kind of ride the line with him all the way up until like halfway through the climax, before we get that shift into you know viewing him as the murderer. And you know, I guess it's more kind of thing like, yo, yo, Marta trusts him, so we have to because she's <laughs> the pure good soul. Yeah, <laughs> do they get in the car and they're driving? He's you know this might be the best thing to happen to all of you. And then they're driving. He's like chuckling. And looks at her. But seriously, what the hell? It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, just the way he delivers certain lines. You know, there's got to be a bigger reason why. You know it. Well, how about it has more to do with you guys than with me? Yeah, it's the only thing that makes sense. It's like it couldn't possibly be because you're a nice person. There has to be some kind of angle to all of this. Yeah. I think, I mean, obviously, you really get an idea for his character from the trailer. But watching this movie, like when it finished, that's when I was like, I, he's my favorite character of the MCU. I freaking love Captain America. But I'm very excited to see a post-MCU career for Chris Evans, you know, just where he can, he can step into these roles that are so outside of this kind of goody two-shoes character. Which is obviously not me insulting Cap, because Cap's the best. And something I was thinking is like, you know, we know they're making a sequel, and I, I definitely want it to be an entirely, you know, an entirely new mystery, an entirely new family. But if one character were to come back, I kind of hope it's him. Like if we could visit Chris Evans in prison, I feel That'd like he, I feel like he could have the most because he's such a wild card who can so easily play, you know, the 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 villain or the antihero. I think that dynamic would be amazing if we just just even just a cameo scene where we get to see him in prison where, where Blog visits visits him for some reason. So I to say, I also I love those kinds of dynamics of like, you know, the the protagonist is onto the next killer and he has to seek the previous villain for for help or advice or something. Yeah. All right. So then there's Christopher Plummer, Harlan Thrombey. Uh, Christopher Plummer is ninety years old, so he would have been 88, 89 when he shot this movie. And I think he's a better actor now than he has ever been <laughs> his entire career. He's incredible. He, like, he, he's kind of, you know, he doesn't have much of a presence in the film until, you know, Marta's main flashback, which uh, that amazing uh, thing where he does, where he flips the coin and the entire flashback happens in the coin then he catches it. But he's just so freaking delightful. And that scene between them in that, that room which is pretty much his entire presence in the film is that one scene, you know, around the go board. And like th- th- this scene is like this movie. Well, I guess Blanc's final monologue is kind of too, but this is like the, the throne room scene from the last year for this movie um, where we get the entire film changes. And the, the way, the way that scene flows from just this fun, uh, you know, this fun, 
quipping and back and forth. And yeah, this love of the relationship, you know, you know, I'm not playing to beat you. I'm playing to build a beautiful pattern. That's elder abuse. I'm going to call the AARP. It's <laughs> <laughs> um, just, he's like, he's a little, like you can tell he's kind of annoying, but he's also just very impish and you yeah, we are not breaking tradition on my birthday. My eighty ninth no, my eighty fifth birthday. I'm so old. I'm so old. <laughs> He's just such a delightful little character. Um and he knows yeah. it. And he play you know, he plays on how adorable he is. Just <laughs> He's the coolest kind of like older person who's like they're they're putting just enough like meanness in their humor and like it, it completely works because, you know, they're a cool old person cool yeah. old person and you could tell like marta's you know she's tired she's getting legitimately annoyed but he, but he is so adorable and she, she loves him so much like they they keep coming back to you know they, they, neither one can really get mad at the other again another one of the things that is reveals the entire movie um this is your ransom there's so much of me in that kid playing life like a game without consequence until you can't tell the difference between a stage prop and a real knife <laughs> Which is you. I don't fear death, but I like to get some of this in order before I before I go out with a flourish. Speaking of, you know his his family mess, and like you know, he got his house in order and he went out with a flourish. Um, it's like yeah, the, 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 that scene. There's that scene. And somebody is like literally telling us what the movie's about, what's going to happen. You've had a long day. You want to do drugs? You mean the good stuff? Yeah. The whole the way that scene descends from just the goofy playfulness between the two. You know, have also again another thing you know, that I'm not playing to beat you. I'm playing to build a beautiful pattern. That's again, that's the movie. Um, but the way that scene turns, you know, from her realization to the the this, this, this slow building panic. You know, first he's just he's just kind of joking. Oh, this is a very efficient method of murder. I got to write this down. And then you just see the switch in his eyes, and you're like, Marta, do you have the Anaxa stuff? And like this is like this is acting where he's not like he he's he's like talking calmly to her, but you can just see in his eyes that he is writing his own you know the, the novel of his death in this scene, and like he it's the way he's able to show that just just and that close up on his eyes. Just Christopher Plummer is an amazing you know treasure. Um, is he British? He's, yeah. he's British, right? Yeah. I was going to say national treasure, but he's an international treasure, whatever. But, oh, gosh, every second of that. And then he's played the entire scene, you know, in a more subordinate way. You know, she's she's his nurse, his caretaker. So she's the one bossing him around. And then when he has to turn around and take charge as she's panicking and has to stand up and tell her what's going to happen and, and make this entire plan. And he's you know, having to be really firm with her while also like he's like he's like yelling at her, but also. He's like super kind and, you know, we got to save your mother. Uh, it's, it's amazing. It was so like, it, it, I mean, obviously with the final reveal, it's depressing that the scene had to play out that way. But something that does feel like nice for the character is that, you know, he's like, like he said, he's trying to get his house in order. He knows regardless of whether this happened or not, you know, he, he knows he's a, he's getting closer to death. And she's part of his house. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing. Like, there, there. He still feels this is this is post him getting his house in order. You're like he's already cut. He's already, he's already gotten the ball rolling on setting things right for all of these other things. But he just he still feels so unsatisfied with it. Like something that feels nice for the character is that he can do this thing for a deserving person. You're like this, this more than setting. You know more than any of these conversations he's had to have with all of this other all of his other family members. 
it's this moment doing this last last act of of good for Marta. Like that's why he's able to die in peace, you know. And and that, oh, it's it's so it's, it's gives you such mixed feelings because it is so sad, but it it is at least a pleasant thing to know that he died, you know, completely justified in intention. And before we get to Marta, I want to. How do you feel about the decision he made you know, to leave everything to her to cut his family loose? Because I have kind of mixed thoughts on in that. terms just... of like just the morale, like the idea that because one, I I don't think that even I don't think that any of them are going to just become immediately bankrupt, you know. Well, Joni will. Well, Joni <laughs> will. Uh, but but you know she just stole four hundred thousand dollars, and she's going to be bankrupt after that. <laughs> she deserves. Oh, well, there you go. Exactly. You know, because he writes the final check and everything, and um. So, like, I don't think there's anything necessarily, like, just completely morally wrong with it. I think, to me, it's it's more of, like, a... The, my question with it, my hesitation with it would be more of, like, a practicality. Like, you know how vicious your family can be, and you know, like the target you just painted on Marta's back. Mm. That's that's the big hang-up to me. Yeah, I, you know, my yeah, my issue is more is that the way it's kind of it's it's not pointed. Like some of these people are clearly far worse than others, and like, as far as he can tell, like Linda, Linda didn't do anything wrong. Yeah, as far like as far as he knew, um, you know, Walt, you know, Walt, he raised a really terrible son, but you know, he, he seems to have served him faithfully. But he's but then you know he is chalking them up, you know, saying you know they're the same as Joni who's been stealing from him or uh. Don Johnson's Richard Richard who's been cheating on his wife or Ransom who's just horrible Ransom who's Ransom um like he's equating that you know all of them with each other which I think it, I don't think is right and and but then I I don't do we have to like he is such a delightful old man that we kind of want to view him as perfect but I like was this one of his mistakes one of his attempts to you know to view his life as a narrative to pull the you know the final the final trick um, and, and there's another kind of interesting thing thought that came to me. You know, just looking at the Old Testament, when, when like when, when the Jews were coming to the Promised Land, like the, the promise it came with a, a warning, like like if if you if you don't do right, if you you stray away, uh, that your your land essentially your land will be taken away and given to the sojourners and the strangers, you know, the immigrants. And I, I don't, I highly doubt Ryan Johnson was thinking about that when he wrote this, but it was just kind of a, a, a just an interesting principle, you know, Christian principle of the, just the, 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 that blessings are not, you know, they're not eternal. You know, they, they, you know, if you don't deserve, if you don't deserve them, they can easily be taken away, which kind of that image of her standing, you know, her standing up on the house with the, you know, the, the, my house, my rules, my coffee thing. Such a good final shot. Yeah, so I uh, think you know, he's a very complicated character. Also, you know, he raised all these terrible people. Like, so he he also bears some responsibility. So maybe his payment, you know, his his punishment for that was having to slit his own throat. Who knows? And I also think you know, he, we we are seeing these characters through the lens of this singular event, as opposed to, like he's he he knows them even like outside of what the film reveals. I feel like we, because that last shot is such like a, a victorious shot and like kind of a like a cheer like it it got like uh 
just like a, a huge laugh and you know you could tell people really really love the way that movie ended i think we're definitely meant to side on this and because marta is just like the moral barometer for the film uh just this this inherent like good constant that everything else is just being held against her decision and that, you know i guess you know it stops before we really get the decision explicitly but i feel like there's a lot to read into the final shot um i i think and even before that you know like whenever Walt's trying to pressure her into giving back and and she's like well i you know i guess i could do this on my own i never really feel like we as the audience are really meant to second guess his decision just in terms of johnson's intentions i guess yeah um uh, the the one another little touch is I love how they continue they continuously change the painting to where in the beginning he's all stern and domineering and in the end he's smiling down on her, um with you know the self the portrait he has yeah um so then there's a uh, Benoit Blanc, um just another great detective to you know, to add to the annals of so many wonderful detectives and everything like between this. And Hercule Poirot by Kenneth Branagh, just like, just it's a, 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 this wealth, it's abundance of riches as far as this genre right now. Yeah, and like we've got people, almost like like we the last thing we need is more sequels. This was a cool original idea. We don't need to turn it into a franchise. I'm usually that way with some things, but like, what I I feel like detective stories are their whole other beast. You know, like these are meant to be long form stories. You know, it's it's all it's like a disservice to the the detective himself if you give him one mystery. I wouldn't be surprised. Like, were they were they the first franchises? I guess I mean, they they came around the same time as like the adventure serials. Like, which that, that's what they were though. They were like recurring things in magazines. Yeah, and so to me, this this is just these sequels are going to be following in the footsteps of you know. All, all of the other detectives that we still that have still lived on in entertainment, and if there was a detective who deserved it, it's Benoit Blanc. Just all of the you have the really thick Louisiana accent right after he did the awesome West Virginia accent in uh, uh Logan Lucky. <laughs> it's a fun little movie, <laughs> and he's just got all these little sayings, <laughs> sweet beans. <laughs> when he sees what's the cheese, Nana. None of this answers. Why is Benoit Blanc here? <laughs> I love that occasionally he refers to himself in third person. Enter Benoit Blanc. My presence will be strictly ornamental. <laughs> I will be a quiet, respectful, passive observer of the truth. I love that. <laughs> the whole gra- Gravity's Rainbow conversation, you know, it's a novel. I know. No, I haven't read it. Nobody has. But I like the title. <laughs> There's something about this character. Like, I love the kind of person Ryan Johnson creates with him, where he's he's not the totally perfect detective, but he's like he's. Like, I I think there was there was a moment where I guess I was I was worried that they were going to kind of undermine his intellect, but like where they end up, uh, I, I just handed you the whole thing. You're not much of a detective. Yeah, oh, you are a lousy criminal. Uh, like they, they, he, he's so cool in so many moments. Like they're like just you know flipping the coin or or getting bored and hitting the piano note. Like there are moments where he's really cool, 
Uh, I mean, it's never not really cool. But there are Maybe other when moments. Maybe when he's out uh, Sondheim. <laughs> think, like, there's moments where they just let him be, like, he's just super silly. And, like, we're not laughing at him as if he's, like, a doofus there. But, like, you have moments like that. Or you have the moments like, our donut hole wasn't a donut hole at all. It was just a smaller donut. Like, those moments. He's still figuring it out, but he's kind of... He's, he's goofy doing it, but it's he's still smart, you know? And and even you know like whenever he's like he's he's asking he keeps pressing him as to you know why are you here and he's like well that's just the thing I don't rightly know like he's an, an, an envelope that's what got you here an envelope of cash <laughs> <laughs> and that face just like the gesture is really good but uh but yeah like he, there, there's some there's just something about the way he's written and performed it's funny I'm thinking back on 2019 like 2019 has like some of my new favorite movies ever came from 2019 and in addition to that some of my new favorite characters because I, rem- I remember thinking back on it we got both leo and brad their characters from once upon a time which like they are some of my new favorite like i, I could just spend eight hours watching them just live out their lives mm-hmm. and jojo from jojo rabbit i, I freaking love that kid and Benoit Blanc. I'm like, these are like some of my new... They're, I'm tucking them away in like my list of favorite movie characters ever now. Yeah, if we can have just in, you know, put time travel in, in Death on the Nile. Because I want this guy and Hercule Poirot together in a movie. Yeah. But I, I think that, that Hercule Poirot um, comparison isn't just the surface level. They're both big, goofy characters with these you know, accents and affectations. But I think the reason I lo- love these sp- characters so much is you know, they have all of the fun and the performances and just the goofiness that I just I love from this kind of movie. But also they're really interesting, you know, deep, fascinating characters with a lot of emotion and goodness underneath. Um, which is you know, the thing that always brings me, brings me back to Murder on the Orient Express is just the, all the emotion underlying that character. And I think the same thing is here. You have those moments like that just delightful moment. Uh, with great Nana, uh, where he connects with her, or just all the little touches, um, you know, why me? I trust your kind heart, and like he's, you, you, you really get the feeling that he's, you know, he, sure he's in it because he's good at solving problems, but there's also there's like an underlying morality, um, to to how he like, functions. You know, cutting her off as he sees the toxicology oh, report. You have not treated and... her well. You have treated her like <laughs> shit. Yeah. <laughs> I love that whole speech he gets. Like vultures at the feast. Your knives out, beaks bloody. Dude, he needs to just... This is why I need more sequels, is I just need that accent shouting monologues. Uh, but I also... like just That moment uh, when she's asking, like, what should I do? He's like, well, I have my own opinions, but I'm sure you'll do the... Or you'll follow your heart. Or whatever he says. It's, like, it's just like, he's so good. I love this guy. <laughs> just, well, I have my opinion. Like the look on his face. It's like, I wouldn't give him a penny, but you do you. Yeah, man. I just, I love him. And just his whole philosophy, the whole Gravity's Rainbow monologue, we're talking about, you know, following the arc of, you know, the arc of the story. And, you know, it just, like, I, it doesn't, it doesn't actually make any sense when you actually think about it, but it's super beautiful and poetic and it sounds so profound. And it leads to one of my favorite shots in the movie whenever, like, so it's night, they're outside and he's talking about how inevitably he he arrives at the truth and he steps into the frame and you've got like one of the floodlights up on the mansion right behind him and it's just like the where his the way it frames his face in the shot is it's really really cool especially 
in the context of the movie, like with what he's talking about is, and you know, all of the information we have as the audience, it's, it's a really cool moment. And and the whole thing where he knew that Marta knew something, but he now, but he, but he, he, he sensed that she was a good person. So he didn't want to expose her. He wanted, like he, like he already knew a great measure of the truth, but he wanted to learn all the whys behind the actions before he exposed anyone and got anyone in trouble. Which is just so cool, I think. Yeah. And we have Marta, uh, played by the, you know, beautiful and wonderful Ana de Armas. Um, like I I knew she was pretty good from like from uh Blade Runner twenty forty nine. I hadn't seen her anything else. Like she like she's really good in that, but you know, it's just one role, you never know. And there's not a lot because I, I I have a feeling we're thinking the exact same thing of just like, oh, so you're amazing. Yeah. But also like, like she's like she's such an incredibly beautiful person like, she's like almost like like model level good looks well like even though they don't put a lot of makeup on her and the, she has you know messy mom hair and whatnot and rather frumpy clothes like they downplay and they can't downplay it entirely but even that like they're not relying on it in this movie and then she just gets to shine so much uh, and, and it, it's it's such like a grounded performance and like it's there's no uh like like she like she doesn't she doesn't play this the character like she's trying to save her dignity and just always trying to get into the right pose and to, and to, to just to look good like she it's it's a performance that feels like completely without ego like she's never never afraid to look absolutely ridiculous and goofy um which happens a lot in a Ryan Johnson film um but she always comes off the better for it yeah and so we were talking about the the scene between her and and uh harlan they're, they're those last moments her performance in that scene is incredible to me you know whenever he's like uh you you do have the i, I forget the the name of what she's looking for she's the like nexus thing she's like yeah yes it's here it has to be here. like and she's just like speaking through tears that it feels like uncomfortably real that's one of those moments where i'm like i know i'm watching a movie but like you it feels like that's the kind of fear that you would see in a real human being, you know? Uh, well, we've all been there. We've all been somewhere and forgotten the thing we needed. Maybe a person's life did depend on it, but like that happens to us, you know, people all the time. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's such a, it's such a uh, realistic fear that we've all felt. And just the increasing panic where she's like, oh, wait. And she's like looking, looking, looking. And then it just gets more and more frantic as Christopher Plummer's talking. She's just on the ground overturning it and she's having to describe as she's looking for it what's going to happen yeah and then the the moment that just blew me away is when joni comes and he he puts her in the corner and we just the camera is right in her face as he's in the background and she's like you she's going through that entire like world of emotions and it's so heartbreaking she's so great yeah she's i really hope that uh that she isn't just like a, a five-minute screen presence and no time to die. But, you know, like so, you have that incredible moment of drama that just feels like almost uncomfortably realistic. Uh, but she's also like outside of that, she's just such a delightful presence to be in. She's so, she is so good, and she's able to kind of like exude that kind of good kindness that may like this is the kind of personality you want to be with whenever you're like just especially whenever so much of the movie is spent in the company of like just horrible people it makes the viewing experience so much more enjoyable whenever you're navigating it with somebody who's so easy to root for uh and like 
they're the they're able to make her just such a not naive but like there's an innocence to her that never feels unrealistic it's just it again it just feels like that kind of like that really nice person that that people know is just like man that's like that individual is just such a a great kind of person that you never hear this kind of joke or this kind of or whatever from uh i love the moment whenever they're they're racing it's like you got a floor it's like i am literally flooring it's it's i don't know <laughs> she's she she has a lot of like she has she's not i guess overtly like comedic lines but she has moments of humor she has those moments of drama i threw it all i'm just like man this person is just both performance and in the writing is just what a what a strong character. It's I can't imagine how difficult this would have been to play because like that character spends like ninety percent of the film on edge, hiding something from you know, and just like there's always just something happening to throw you know throw her off balance to just to try and either to destroy her, you know, or, you know to, to discover the truth. You know, she's like a, you know, a, a character who has this enormous lie who can't lie. Like it's. <laughs> There's so few moments in the film where she just gets to be at, at ease. She's always having to play two things at once, like you know the performance where you know she, she's playing the characters, but also has to play her you know play play it so the audience knows she's playing. Like it's so well done, and I love that it's it's it's, it's kindness that wins. You know, it's the th- that's the thing. You know, the entire the whole the way the whole movie turns out is you know if you know she, sure you know she she didn't. I mean, she made a mistake, but she didn't. She didn't like truly do anything wrong to be put into this position. But there are there were a hundred points throughout this film where she could have essentially, you know, lost favor with Blanc and and, and the audience by you know making a selfish choice by, you know, as he said, you know, by playing the game their way. But she you know, she always just chose to you know, to, tr- to try and salvage her conscience and her soul throughout it. And that ultimate moment of you know, like it's her trying to save. Uh, I forget the name. Fran. Fran. I, it, you know, it's her trying to save her. That like that is that final moment of decision that changes everything essentially. Yeah, which for her is you know giving it all up. She's gonna lose her inheritance. She'll lose her family. But it's the right thing to do in this moment. And that and that action is what allows every, you know all the truth to come out and allows her to keep the thing she was willing to give up. And that final moment you know, where he tells you know to go to go get the uh to go get the the uh, morphine. And he's saying, you know, you knew that. You used the slightest difference in viscosity. You knew it because you're a good nurse. And uh, it's just like that, that little tiny bit of affirmation after all she's been through. And that's why, you know, there's so many little, like you've got the, the reoccurring joke of, you know, nobody actually knows where she's from. Uh, very <laughs> obvious that nobody really wanted her at the funeral. All of these, like, things that in of themselves stack up to just be it's it's not even this overt dislike or overt um aggression it's just a series of like it's in, it, this atmosphere that she's lived in where the only person that has ever actually engaged with her in any real way was harlan and so this last moment of incredible affirmation from uh blanc is it's such a great moment to be after all of these years just like rewarded for patience and goodness i'm like i like it when movies do this your honor she endeared herself to him through hard work and good humor (laughs) speaking of which frank is also a treasure um i I just the little dynamic between him and the paralegal his assistant this is still our house 
what oh yes uh and the house <laughs> and so the scene where they're all just like hounding him did you just google that <laughs> i did just google that um <laughs> you know <laughs> what's this line up? i don't trust the guy in the tweed suit and uh, and alan god no, god bless you you're useless <laughs> thank you <laughs> and you know, he's, just, he's just like sleepy in the corner <laughs> oh they're wonderful I guess, like, the uh, last thing to say about Darmus' uh, performance is knowing now, because I, I had a feeling, or no, actually, so the first viewing, I didn't know she was lying in that final moment. Um, but rewatching it, now knowing what's going to happen, that scene goes from, like, just be like, it's it's tense only in that it's the climax. But that scene becomes increasingly tense for me, knowing that she's like trying to hold down Barth, and you can see <laughs> it on her face, and it you can hear the gurgling. Yeah, like I just kind of like knowing now on the second viewing, just like clenching my hands every time it shows her, because I'm like, oh, it's, oof, it looks so real, and, and it's so great, like just I, what what a beautiful handicap to give our character in a murder mystery little birdie told me you have a regurgitative reaction to mistruthin oh my dear girl i'm sorry i assume you were speaking figuratively <laughs> you know i guess this is less about the cat this is just more about ryan johnson as a writer but something that i love about this is that he has you know he he burdens himself with all of these things you know you you have a character no real vil- antagonist for at least a large portion of it you reveal this, the one person who knows everything and the person that they're trying to get to can't lie without vomiting. And then, like, there are the smaller things, like, you know, a, a passive great-great-grandmother, uh, um, a stare that's... Like, just all of these different things and keeping track of, like, finding a way to create a two-hour narrative navigating through all of these different things. I can't do this because I've set this up. And, and they're not they're not just, like, steps on the way to get to the ending they all play into the ending yeah it's so crazy like little hallmark jokes have something to do with the ending and the vomit like that would have been an incredible handicap to the entire film and it didn't have to come back to the ending but no we get it and she vomits in captain america's face and it's amazing okay we got we got to talk about the the final like 20 minute monologue from uh blanc as everything comes together and he's just on fire and we're all just watching like like trooper Wagner just just completely enthralled the shot of him pulling up his sleeves as he sits on the throne is like that's iconic now to me or, or with, with the camera zoom or just like a dollies oh. along the knives and he turns around into it enter benoit blanc it's so stylized it's so cool another another incredible moment is when um when they read the will and you know everything goes to marta cabrera and we go outside and it's just like she walks outside and then the family comes out after and they like literally just pick pick the camera up off of the dolly and start going handheld and like they don't even try to hide like the camera just kind of like rocks to the side as it's picked up and put on the guy's shoulder and we go to complete handheld for the only time in the film um but it's just such a perfect switch because of just we've descended into chaos so we're gonna go handheld for that entire scene it feels it feels like you know like whenever news reporters are trying to fall like at the a trial or something and they're try, they're crowding around the individual coming out it, that very hectic sense i just like, you, you, we feel exactly what martin would feel in that scene when everyone's trying to get her yeah but back to that final scene and 
uh, it's so much it's so much fun watching him just go on and on you know you know it's not a donut at all it's a smaller donut <laughs> but a smaller donut with its own hole our donut is not a hole at all <laughs> it's just the, the, the donut monologue it has so many like it's, that has its own arc and climax <laughs> um and just a little touch of the way, where like he's taping over the bottles as he's giving his monologue. He, like he's always doing something with his hands. Just the way he rolls up his sleeves. <laughs> you, mm, you it looks so cool. Um, this is stupid with two O's. <laughs> uh, oh, and the, the dolly zooms when he pulls out the knife. Like the dolly zoom on each of the characters and the slow motion as they're going over. It's like you're just showing off now. <laughs> I don't care because it's amazing. I love you know like. <laughs> I mean, the trailer itself has this final moment, but just like the slow motion as Ransom goes, like as he jumps for Marta, uh-huh. and the, like the hands thrown out towards the screen, and we get like the most dramatic moment in the movie. Then we just the, the, the just the deflation as he's like testing the knife on her chest and it's the squeak. Well, shit. It's like the, the again, this all goes back to just the balance of tones where we can have all of this can perfectly coexist. And you know every joke is funny. Every you know every scary every tense moment is scary, and every dramatic moment it hits because like after they tackle tackle uh, him off of her, we get then get that long shot kind of you know g- going up from her face, you know going up in the air, and it's it's completely dramatic again. Like we could how how do you do that? I don't know. I again you know people would may point at this, and although actually this seems fairly universally beloved, so I guess I can be happy about people loving Ryan Johnson again. So maybe for some reason it worked this time. <laughs> well, I do think the like the jokes are better integrated. Like I love the Last Jedi, but the, you know there, there's some jokes in there that are a bit yeah, bit let in. Yeah, and then all, all the like I, I love that all the uh, all the, the the family members have their, their different reactions to the ending. Where you have like uh, Richard's like trying to bribe waving around his wallet in, in Wagner's face, and like Linda's resigned as she goes to read the letter, and um, like Maggie's like. The only one who's actually distraught to learn that her grandfather was murdered by, or uh, or I guess he wasn't murdered, but he, he, or at least I guess Fran was murdered. It's so weird. Like he's the murderer, but not, but not because he murdered the main person. I, oh man, that was the moment that, like I guess I didn't appreciate how incredibly clever that was. That he's put away, not even for the murder that the whole movie is built on. Like, ugh. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Richard's got the black, like the slow motion, the, the slow dolly shot through all, you know, through the entire family as they turn he around. Turns around. He's got the black eye. Just to talk about Blanc a little bit more, I love he has all these little isms that he has. Physical evidence can tell, you know, t- can tell a clear story with a forked tongue. And we cut to Elliot. He's just like, "What the hell are you talking about, man?" <laughs> Elliot gives such good side eye. I hope. I hope in the sequel that he left, he left the police, and he he's just gonna be a tag along detective now. No, Trooper Wagner is that. That's 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 his role. <laughs> that's. But I I don't know. I man, whoever's up next, because I, I feel like these kind of characters, it, it's always best whenever there's some form of like grounding. Yeah, you need somebody to give other people side eye. Uh-huh. Now now that everyone in Hollywood's gonna be like desperate to be in this movie, like what what is that? What's that cast gonna look like next time? I don't know, but it's going to be insane because, you know, like Murder on the Orient Express wasn't even like it wasn't huge. It was it made money, but, you know, it certainly wasn't Knives Out and its cast is incredible. So who good grief. This is going to 
bring in everybody. Mm-hmm. I want Ian McKellen in it some way. I just want him in it. He would he would have made a good uh, Heartland Thrombie. Yeah, I mean, I'm not I'm not at all complaining about Christopher Plummer because he's amazing. All right, so yeah, I think we're, I think we're we've you know, we've gone you know almost two hours. So I think we're about, about ready to move into our uh, closing thoughts on this film and our star rating. So James, what are your closing thoughts for this movie, and what do you give it out of five stars? So I, as I've said, I really really like this movie a lot. Well, like, sorry, I love this movie. I feel like I say I interchange I love and I like, and usually there's nothing. Uh, there's really no difference there, but just to clear anything up, to me, this is one of the best movies from last year. I really, really loved it. Okay, it, it, I remember it was like at number nine. You'd only seen it once. Where does it stand now in your rankings from last year? Uh, I'm going to have to go back because since I've seen like Because if it doesn't move up, I'm going to disown you. Well, so 2019 is just... it's. I feel like movies hit us differently that year because... Because they were actually releasing movies that year. Oh. Uh, what a time. We were so young and full of hope. Uh, my top like 15 now, or 15 to 20 now from 2019 is stacked. Like any, you could take my, from from uh, like 11 to 20, and that could have been like a pretty decent top 10 for another year for me. And I've seen, like, I've seen a hidden life since then, so that, and that's like, I'm, already, I'm having to try to figure out how high that is for me, because that's circling, like, the top spots as well um so i actually i don't know if i've actually revised it i feel like i need to see all of those movies again just my entire top 20 and then with fresh eyes replace where everything goes um so i'm not sure but i really i still love this i also think like my my subjective tastes are usually for like drama but I don't know. I also just love a good bit of fun, which is also why I love this movie so much. Anyways, my final thoughts on this movie. Uh, that I, I really love these kinds. I, there was a reason why I love uh, Murder on the Orient Express, and I feel like this shares a lot of those strengths. And where Murder on the Orient Express doesn't completely work, which is the mystery and just the way things come together, this excels at that mm-hmm. in just in an amazing way like i said on rewatch i'm following threads thinking that like okay and this is where we got to the thing that i you know i didn't think really worked and then i'm like oh no i misheard something or i didn't think about it in this way and yeah i i think it's it's incredibly smart the cast is incredible uh it has a in it like it's irreverent but it's also like it has a very sincere heart to it as well that it doesn't it never even really tries to undermine that and I really love that about it too, uh, and then, like that's something that just it feels like that's Johnson, where he's he can be very irreverent and ridiculous, and not and, and have moments of genuine sincerity, and not even try to like poke fun at that, and just like let those moments breathe. And like the the larger themes of the story are always things that I really like. I'm like, okay, I love this. The movie is like it's so much of it. Its identity is wrapped up in its like in its general vibe and. And that can be so ridiculous at times in a good way, but it's still like what it's ultimately about and saying, I, I really enjoy. Um, so yeah, I, I, I love the movie. I think it's an incredible addition to like the murder mystery genre. Um, I, I go between four and a half to five. Uh, the only reason 
that I didn't go immediately to five is because I didn't have that immediate like, oh, that was five. This is my new favorite movie of all time. Five stars. But (laughs) if if a half a star is held back, it is probably just because of like personal reasons, because like I don't I've also just been watching super serious movie. Like I've been on a a streak of movies that have just made me weep. (laughs) And so maybe because this movie didn't make me cry among the movies I've been watching lately. Like, ah, didn't quite get me there, but obviously that's not its intention. So regardless of where I land, it's it's an incredible movie. Yeah, so I, I just adore everything about this movie. We talked about in Jojo Rabbit. I, I love the movies that feel like a full package where I can just get everything I love about movies where you have the great acting. It's hilarious. It, you know, it moves well. It's intricately plotted. And also, like, there's you know, great heartfelt drama. There's you know, fascinating themes. Like, it's it gives me like every, like when you think about the things that you know the things that movies can do. And, and usually, a movie will do like one or two of those things really well. When you get a movie like this, which does like ninety percent of the things that can be done so well, um, I just like those ones are the ones that always rise to the top for me. So yeah, I give this thing uh, five stars. I just there's not there's nothing to dislike and so much to love and every time i rewatch it I'm, you know i'm seeing more and more things um to love about it and you know, and also just like the script is fantastic but on the technical level the cinematography the direction the music uh, music nathan johnson's score is fantastic and also i think as far as my ranking last year it sits at uh, number two just just under jojo rabbit for last year jojo rabbit made me cry so that just supports my theory. <laughs> All right. So that was our uh, Detours review of Knives Out. I uh, hope you enjoyed it. If you did, again, I'd ask you to please head over to iTunes and give us a rating and review. Uh, if you want to follow us on Facebook, we're there as Franchise Fatigue Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram as at FranchisedPod. And if you want to find other episodes, you can go to FranchiseFatiguePodcast.com. And where can people follow you, James? You can find me at uh, Letterboxd. I'm there as JL Hamry. It's J-L-H-A-M-R-I. And you can also find the both of us over on Facebook at The Outer Rim, a Star Wars group. Uh, we are, you know, we may have just ended with um, the, the last season of The Clone Wars. But there's still, I, I feel like we are just on the precipice of more announcements. You know, like I, there's, we're going to hear something about like Filoni's new show soon. We're this close to greatness. <laughs> exactly. And then, I mean, October, we're going to have The Mandalorian Season 2. So there's still a lot going on in this universe. So if you're excited about it all and you want to talk about it, feel free to join us over there. I'm also on Letterboxd and there's Gabriel Green. Uh, I'm on Instagram as Gabe the Great Green, though I honestly, I rarely ever post there. But hey, if you want some more following, I'm there. All right. So next week, uh, we're going back to the world of franchise films and back to Star Wars. Um with a season two of Star, Star Wars Resistance, uh, which will be split into two episodes. So the first the first season next week is going to cover uh, the first ten episodes of that season. I don't know. <laughs> when we were young and stupid, we could do all 22 episodes in one episode. Uh, but now that we're old and boring, we gotta, we got to split it up. Youth is behind me. So until next week, we will see you in a galaxy far, far away. In for a penny, in for a pound. Yeah.